Hey, this is Britt Vargas, and I am the High School Ministry Associate Director at Calvary Community Church here in Westlake Village, California. And this is our HSM podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out today. I hope this encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. All right, well, good evening. How are you guys? That set was fire. Praise God. I'm so excited. If you do not know me, my name is Britt, and I get to serve you guys here at Calvary, and I'm really excited because we are kicking off week three of Isaiah. Okay, let me see. Who brought books? Who brought books? Yes. Love it. If you do not have one, there are some extra ones there, and if They're all gone there. We have some in the tech booth. But I'm so excited because we chose Isaiah as this book. Well, I just remember, I kicked it off like three weeks ago, and no one knew the story of Isaiah. And I love it because I've been hearing story after story of people's conversations during small group, um, during uh, just after service. And I'm just so excited for what God is doing in this place through the book of Isaiah. So if you're with me, we are going to jump right in. If you haven't been with us, just a small recap. So we are looking at Isaiah and kind of the overarching theme of Isaiah is that Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh, we say Yahweh because that is the name of God. So sometimes we refer to him as Lord or God or Savior, but we just always want to recognize that this is just calling God who he is, right? But using the word Yahweh or in your Bibles, it's all capitals, L-O-R-D, is God's name. Like, how cool is that? That that is his name. And just as a fun fact, one of the things that I love about the Bible is in that time, names had so much purpose and were given with such intention that when we get to use Yahweh, we know that it's so intentional and it characterizes the, the character of God and who he is. And so then first week, we meet Isaiah. We meet Isaiah and we actually start in chapter six. And the reasoning behind that is because we wanted to meet the main character of this book, hence why it's called Isaiah. And we realize that he is basically sharing prophecies throughout the, this book And what he's doing is he's casting judgment on different peoples, right? But what I love about Isaiah chapter 6 is the fact that when Isaiah enters into the presence of God, this holy God that is so perfect beyond ourselves that has to be separated from sin, cut off from sin, that Isaiah experiences the depth of his own sin. He experiences the fact that he's bringing these prophecies of judgment, but he is just the same. He he says, unclean lips. And then Aaron kicked off for us last week talking about Judah and Jerusalem and that they were warned. They were given this warning in chapter one, looking at the fact that they were actually creating idols and worshiping those idols of religion rather than going after the heart of what Yahweh is. And so I loved it because in this book, it's just raw. Like this is God in all his glory. And so what I love is we're just gonna like zip right through because tonight we're gonna actually jump all the way to chapter 35. So what happens between uh, chapter one and 35 is, if we could put it up on the slide, one more. 
another one. <laughs> okay, here we go. So the prophecies, so chapters one through 12 is of Judah and Jerusalem, okay? So those are those prophecies. Then we get chapters 13 to 27, where other nations are being judged upon through these prophecies. But what I want us to realize in that in chapter 35, there is a pause. Like if you were to read the entirety of Isaiah, this would feel like this moment where you're, it's like 2 a.m., you're writing an essay and you're like, you know what, I'm just gonna copy. And you just like do the click and paste and like put in your essay and you send it in. But knowing full well that your whole other essay did not sound as eloquent, like it's sticking out, right? This is kind of like the chapter 35, because this is a moment where we realize that deliverance isn't found in Egypt. Why that's important is because for the Israelites, like this, sometimes they would become tempted to look back at their life in Israel instead of what we'll look at tonight is the wilderness and the desert and say, man, it was so comfortable back then. Like, I wanna go back to those times. Maybe for us, it was like pre-pandemic, like just simpler times. But what we have to realize in chapter 35 is that it's not found in Egypt, but in the Lord, in Yahweh, in God. And so I'm so excited for us to jump in because we just skipped over a ton. So if you want to spend some weeks maybe looking over what's between chapters 1 and 35, what you'll notice is it's just doom and gloom, like fight after fight and just like the worst way because God always gets his way. And like, he's a just God. And we'll talk about that too. But what I want us to realize is in chapter 35, there is hope for us. There is hope for the, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And so for us, the same way, we wanna look at this chapter and realize what is God speaking to us through the prophecy of Isaiah? Because it's a surprise. It is not expected. It's a powerful poetry. And why I want us to realize that it is poetry is the fact that when we read certain texts, like you're all in high school, right? You're all in school. You've been in English class. The way that you would read a historical text is so different than what you would read poetry, right? In historical uh, texts, there might be facts, there might be dates and all of those things. But in poetry, there's a lot of symbolism. There's depth. And so... I was telling the leaders earlier in our meeting, like there is so much to dig in, in just these eight scriptures that we'll look through. I will not do it all justice, but I hope that after tonight, we really look at and dig in what God has for us in just the simplest way. Because my, my hope is that tonight is just a starting point for you to go into your small groups. And if you're not in one, like I said last time, get in one. Like, just do it. There's no excuse. It's so important for us to be in community with other people that will encourage you, that will walk with you. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. Anyways, verse one. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up. Or if you have an iPhone, you verse Bible, download it. We have Wi-Fi, okay? All right, verse one. We are starting off here. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. What? Here's the thing. If you have our journal or whatnot, here's what I want you to underline. What is he describing? The wilderness, the desert, and the wasteland. Now, some of you have probably been to the desert or have seen a photo of a desert. It is not lively at all. 
like a lot of the times there's just dirt and sand for miles and miles. It's hard to live in. Like when I was looking at this text and thinking about the wilderness, my little sister, if you don't know, her name's Kylie. She's amazing. She has Down syndrome and I love her to pieces. But one of the things that is so hard <laughs> is the fact that she loves watching shows over and over again. And you're like, okay, that's not that bad. No, it's like specific episodes. She's like, Magic School Bus episode seven. And like, she'll make you like go through all the episodes and she'll be like, nope. I'm like, how about this one? Nope, nope. And so one of them that she constantly watches is one about the desert. And what it is, is like Miss Frizzle and all the gang get in and what they realize is they see that there are no animals in the desert. And so one of the characters freaks out and was like, we've got to save the animals. We've got to be there for them. Like, let's start a petition, let's go. And so they go to the desert to try to save these animals. And as they continue on in the episode, they realize that life is actually happening. Now I'm not trying to compare the magic school bus to the Bible or anything that God does, but it is a small portion of what happens is when we only see a desert when we only see our challenges and our struggles, sometimes we miss out on what God has for us in those seasons. Like I always like to make fun of Christians and like, have you ever heard them? They're like, I'm just in my wilderness season. And like in my wilderness season, I'm just gonna like wait on the Lord, right? We've all been that person one time or another. And what happens is we just wait and we don't realize in that waiting, God has stuff for us. Like he's ready to cultivate us. If you're not coming to cultivate on the 18th, you should. But what we want to realize is that in this desert season, in the wilderness, we experience the faithfulness of God, restoration for this tired world, restoration for your tired soul, restoration for what God has for you. Because sometimes when we're tempted into sin, which all I mean is sin is just missing the mark for what God has for you that we get overwhelmed, that the challenges are just so, just piling up over and over again. But we have to realize that within the wilderness seasons, like if you look at the Old Testament, within those wilderness seasons, God does his most amazing work. There's so many moments that the Israelites were in the wilderness. It was hard. I'm not saying it's gonna be hard. But what I know is that God has something for us in this wilderness, because we see here in verse one, it says, they will be glad. The wasteland will rejoice and the blossom will spring up flowers, wild flowers. So can you imagine like being in a wilderness and all of a sudden these things that are sprouting up from the ground have never been there before and yet they happen. I love this, verse two continues on. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> the, the deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as the Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. Then the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. What I want us to know is like, I love the Bible. I love it so much. But I love that it's not just like a story that says, once upon a time in a far, far, far away land. No, there are specific places, Lebanon, Mount Carmel, Plain of Sharon. And if you were at that time receiving this, it would immediately trigger your memory because in Isaiah 33, nine, 
these places, these specific places had just been destroyed by your enemies. Like it was devastated. It was a wasteland, a desert. And yet what is here is saying that there will be singing and joy. These places will become green and abundant in flowers. That's amazing. That's amazing news for these people because we have to realize the desert will not only experience renewal and revival, but it is also direct presence with God. Because look at the end of that. It says, then the Lord, capital Yahweh, will display his glory, the splendor of our God. I love this because this is hope for us. This is hope in, in our wilderness moments, in our desert seasons, that God will reveal his glory. He will be with us. He will walk with us. And in his presence, like we saw in chapter six, Isaiah realized the depths of his sin. But when that coal touched his lips, he wasn't destroyed. He was purified for what? For this moment, this call that God had on his life, he, and his response was, here I am, Lord, send me. And so what we get to realize is that amongst our wilderness moments where things feel like a desert and challenging our heart, that there will be displays of God's glory. Verse three goes on and it says, with the news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. So this news in verse one and two, this is great news. But in, in verse three, this is the moment where he's like, okay, buckle up. This is our moment. Get ready for seeing what God has in store in this wilderness. And so what we have to realize is that this is the foundation of a hope. That even though that there's going to be wilderness seasons and deserts and things of that nature, there's been devastations in their land, that there's going to be abundance of coming. Because God's restoration is sure, but his process requires change. I think it's important for us to realize that there is going to be a need for change when we enter into this moment of faith knowing that God has something for us, that he's doing something for us, and yet we have to be ready and understand that there's change coming, there's change happening for us. Because look, it says, you will strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Like, that's so weird, hands and knees. Like, I was like, okay, Lord, like, why hands and knees? Like, maybe hands and feet, because like you run or whatnot. But how do we get ready? How do we equip ourselves? It's by praying, right? It's by knowing and trusting that God has you, that there's power in prayer. And so what I would love for us to realize is that our hands and knees, we use them to fall on our knees in, in a posture, not because that's how you're supposed to pray, but this is a posture of like, I'm surrendering to this moment because I know that God is in control of what we have here. Verse four, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. I would not want to be one of his enemies. Like, he is coming to destroy, and he is coming to save, and yet I see so much hope in this verse. But, and then I also have to realize, but why fearful hearts? If we're ever honest with ourselves, we realize that when this walk of faith, when we call ourselves followers of Jesus, who walk and just like here at our church, we wanna say we live in love like Jesus, 
that there's gonna be hard moments, right? There are gonna be challenging moments, whether it's faced at being a Christian at your school, or maybe you don't live in a Christian household, so being a Christian at home. Like there's going to be tough seasons, and yet the promise is that he is coming to save you. He is coming to save us because our fearful hearts aren't helped by just vain, vague optimism. Like we don't just stand here. Like we're not here every single Sunday because we, we hope God will come save us. We hope that he will be kind enough and faithful enough and hopefully we, we did enough to earn his mercy and his grace. No, we have the confidence and the assurance that he will. Because why? We sing about it. Because God is a promise keeper. And this is a promise. He is coming to save you. This is the salvation. This is the whole part, the whole reason of Isaiah is the fact that he is coming to save and he, meaning Yahweh, is our salvation. But I think it's important for us to realize that the last 34 chapters, like if you just look at verse at chapter 34, like there's some scary moments of God just taking it out on this place called Edom. Like it literally says like there was blood dripping off swords. And so we look at that and we look at the past judgments that God was giving and we're like, okay, we can see how God is a just God. He is just and it's who he is. But what happened to like last week when we talked about that loving God, that faithful God, that merciful God? He's both. He's not 50-50, he's 100%. He's 100% just and 100% loving. And you're like, how can that be? I don't know, he's God, okay? But what I do know is I know about justice. So I brought this diagram for us to really visualize what it looks like. So justice, justice requires things. So what we have to realize, have you ever tattled on your sibling? Oh, really? Yeah, okay. What happens when you tattle on your sibling? You want them to suffer the consequences of their actions, right? You've been wronged. Justice requires that there's consequences to what you do. Hence why it requires wrath, punishment, and separation. The wrath of God. Your sin Every single time it talks about the Bible and sin, it talks about it is death. That is the wage of sin. Not you, your sin, but that is who you are because we are so broken and sinful. Also, the punishment. That every single time something happens in the Bible, there is a punishment if it's not of what God had called those people. And then separation, we talked about it. God is so holy, he has to be separated from sin. He has to be cut off from it. So you might be sitting there and be like, oh my gosh, I sinned like an hour ago. That's like super hard to take in. That my, my, my person, my brokenness, all the sinful things about me, this is what God's justice requires for me. But I think the beauty that we get to see in 35 is the hope 
And why? It's because in the middle, protecting us, in the middle of everything, Christ bears God's wrath so that we can receive mercy. God stands in the way so that he received what justice required of us. Like, think about it. Jesus went knowingly, knowingly that this was what was asked of him to lead a beautiful ministry and then get punished, but he was blameless, hung on a cross. He was beaten, it says, beyond recognition. You didn't know who he was. He was beaten and pierced, but what I know is that's probably not the hardest thing that he suffered through. Because not only did he suffer through the physical, he also took on, bared every single one of our sins. And what does that do to God's justice? It requires wrath, punishment, and separation. Jesus took that for us. That should have been us on the cross. But why? When Jesus stands in the way, it's because grace provides. Grace provides that way for us to have reconciliation, reconnection with our God, that there can be a healing between creation and the creator. Why? Because grace provides mercy, salvation, and fellowship. Because of grace, because of his grace for us on our lives, he sent Jesus, knowing that he would conquer death, but he would have to go through the cross first because we couldn't save ourselves. And yet he had the knowing that because he wanted us to have salvation with him, that Yahweh is our salvation, that he would then be in fellowship with his people that was because of what Jesus did on the cross. Verse five continues on. It says, and when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. Deaf. The lame will leap like deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Again, remember, this is poetic language. Like, but if you could just sit back and imagine like a lame person, someone you knew who could never walk, leaping like a deer. If you could imagine people seeing for this first time, these are miraculous moments. But I think it's important for us to realize, again, poetry, there's so many different ways for us to, to really decipher what did he mean and what did he mean? And so there's kind of like three schools of thought. The first one is the fact that there is godly concern for people with physical disabilities. The physical, like we can see that, that is true, that God cares about that. The second is that it's a metaphor for people of Israel will experience joyous freedom. Like there's a spiritual aspect of it. And the third one is that it's a metaphor for the people of God today. It's a metaphor for us and our experience with Jesus and what he did on the cross. Those are all beautiful things. And that's a moment, like I have literally a list of like questions I wanna ask God. Like, okay, this is like what I've deciphered through, but like, what did you actually mean? And those could be one of these moments. But what I know 
is that over all those three things, that there is no weakness beyond God's ability to strengthen or to even restore. There is no weakness. There is not a power in this world that can overcome what God can do, what he can restore. If you just read any parts of the Bible, what kind of people does he use? Broken people. Because if he tried to use perfect people, we'd still be at page one, okay? So what we have to realize is it this in this moment that there is no weakness, there is nothing. Our God is sovereign, he is powerful. He is just, he is loving, he is all those things. Why? Because he is holy. He is holy. And there's no weakness because, remember, we're talking about Yahweh is our salvation. So when God's salvation comes, miraculous power comes with it. Miraculous power. This, to, to make these things happen just physically, Let's just like push away the spiritual side. This is miraculous, but not only physically, but the spiritual healing as well. We serve a powerful, powerful God. If, if any of you have read the gospels and like this section just like maybe raised a flag like it did with mine, I'm like, why have I heard this before? And then it remembered, I'm like, oh my gosh, Isaiah is full of so many prophecies of the Messiah coming, right? Jesus. They didn't know who he was, but they knew that these were the characteristics of him. So what happens is if we just go like an inch to the, to the right, to the New Testament, you land yourself in Matthew 11. We come to this moment where we see Jesus and John the Baptist. And the John Baptist has just sent the disciples to go ask Jesus, wait, are you the guy? Like, are you, are you the dude that they've been talking about? Because you know, John the Baptist, he would have known the scriptures. And this is, I love it. Jesus, oh, he's so good. He, he says, says, Jesus said, the disciple says, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Could you imagine asking Jesus that? <clears throat> Jesus told them, and I love it because he could have said so many things because he is who he is. And yet this is how he responds. He says, go back to John and tell them what you have heard and seen. Here we go. The blind see, the lame walk, and those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. This is God's moment where he is saying, I am that guy of Isaiah, those prophecies. I am that I am. Because I know, he, he was like, okay, go tell John this, because he would have known the scriptures, knowing back in 35, that this was the moment that when he said, he is coming to save you, and these are the things that he will do, he knew that Jesus was it. Jesus was it. That Jesus was physically healing people, but that there was a spiritual aspect as well, that he was the marker to be the Messiah, the one that could save us all. It continues on, it says, um, springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. Can you imagine? <laughs> like all of a sudden just a pool comes out. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty lands. Marsh grass and weeds and rush will flourish where the desert jackals once lived. Now, if you've ever been in third grade and you have to do those ecosystems, you know the desert ecosystems does not have marsh, reeds, and grasses like that. Like, that's a swamp. 
And yet we see constantly over and over again in this scripture that God is doing things that shouldn't happen and yet he still does. Because when God's salvation comes, miraculous provision comes with it. Miraculous provision comes with it because I know that I serve a God, we serve a God that when he calls you to something, he doesn't leave you halfway. He doesn't leave you halfway because that's not his character. He is so him that he literally cannot be faithful. He cannot be forgiving. He cannot be just. He cannot be those things because it's who he is. A couple weeks back, we talked about his love and I loved the, the visual of if you could imagine Jesus, he was literally like loved wrapped in flesh. Like if you, and then compared to like a robot, if you were to pull back it, you would see love. You would see that Jesus is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. He is just. And why? We talked about it in the first, the sixth chapter. It's because of his holiness. It's because of who he is. And that when something was dry, it was useless. It was a wasteland. Like who wants to deal with anything in the wasteland? And yet God has the power to have something that is well-watered and fruitful. Like not only is there just water spouting out from everything, there's fruit. There's things that is happening. Whether you think about it in your wasteland, in your desert season, whatever that is, whatever challenges is, we have to realize that God is up to something. But are we gonna miss it focused on the desert or on this giant pool, this marsh, that things are growing, things are abundant? I'm gonna ask the band to come up as I finish out this last verse. And it says, and the great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. What I want us to realize is that there's a highway of holiness. Now, the picture that you might've popped up into your brain was like the 101 and like we're all in little cars and we're like, we're holy, yay. And we just like keep going. No, what we want to realize is scripture isn't talking about like a freeway. It's talking about a higher way. That when you follow Jesus, when you say yes to what God has for you, for what Yahweh has for you, it's a higher way. We're set apart. Not because we wanna be like morally better than anyone, it's because we know what Jesus did on the cross and we don't deserve it at all. We're never worthy of it. We are not enough, but with him, we are enough. And so when we realize that this highway of holiness isn't a path, it's a person, it's Jesus. That this highway of holiness is a person in the form of Jesus, of a form of that was 100% a man, 100% God, walked on this earth, suffered on our behalf, on our maybe, and did it willingly so that our creator could be reconciled with his creation, with his people. That the highway of holiness is a person So following God's path of holiness through faith in Jesus, not through your works, not through your striving, not any of those, but through faith in Jesus brings life, restoration, and fruitness to the parched desert of our lives. That's the message that we can find. That is the hope we find in 35.
I love this, um, A.W. Towser said this so simply, and yet it struck my heart when it, he said, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. He is the only way for us to be reconciled with God. And so we're gonna sing this next set and what I want you to do is I want you to take this time, worship with your heart, use the prayer wall, make this a moment where you recognize what Jesus did on the cross. Despite seeing the wilderness dry desert of sometimes that we are, because of our sin and brokenness and all the things that come with the fall, and yet Jesus steps in. Jesus interferes and makes a way so that when justice was required, when wrath and punishment and separation for God was required, Jesus stands in the middle so that grace could be provided. That grace could be provided. Bow your heads with me, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you're God of faithfulness, that you're a God of justness, but Lord, overall, we're just thankful that you're a God who wants to be with his people. Lord, that you made a way. Lord, I pray for a heart in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, would they lean in to know who this Jesus is who stepped in the way for them? Lord, I just ask it that if you uh, just, just <sighs> tap into our hearts, Lord, Lord, we might have hearts of stone. Lord, would you turn them into flesh? Lord, would we be tender into the ways that you are calling us to this highway of holiness, Lord, this set-apartness, Lord, so that we can be walking in your will? Lord, call us out. Lord, but would you be with us? We thank you, Lord, for this confidence and this boldness that we can walk knowing that you have gone before us, Lord, that you love us. Lord, we are trusting you, we praise you, and we love you. And we pray this in your precious name. Everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this, don't forget to subscribe and also check out past episodes. For more content from Calvary HSM or to connect with us, visit us on Instagram at calvaryhsm805. Go live and love like Jesus.